This week on Trek, Mary Kill, Cardassians, bureaucrats, capers, next. A Federation starship on a merciless attack. You have killed nearly 700 people. A Starfleet renegade on the brink of madness. We had to act now. Picard must destroy his fellow officer to stop a war. You must preserve the peace, no matter what the cost. He turns weapons on a Federation starship to protect the enemy? Starfleet Showdown on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Ryan. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast that's a jumping off point into three Federation sectors. This week, we're joined by special guest Ryan, who produces unscripted podcasts for Q Code, like Jillian on Love, Crime Scene Queens, and a whole host of others. Ryan, welcome. I am so thrilled to finally be on this show. Uh, the mere existence of a Star Trek podcast from a dear friend that I have not guessed it on yet was just burning me. Um, and you had Tamara Nathan on before me, which I just, I don't think they, I mean, they're, they're close, but they don't have a, a display of Star Trek ships in their house promptly in the entryway. I think they have one and you have many more. They do. I have a problem is what I have. They also have the Rosinante from The Expanse up, which you do not have. So they get the plus. And I still have yet to watch because I yes. only watch Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> Ryan yeah. might actually be a bigger Star Trek fan than both um, Kristen and myself. Kristen is off this week, but Ryan is here. Uh, how did you get into Star Trek then? Because, yes, not only do you have many ships, but you have you have even more memorabilia um more toys more uh it's more it's more on the tip of your tongue more often than when i see you you've got a next gen thing ready to go lined up locked and loaded it's like you're thinking about it a lot i will say this i I don't think i'm a larger fan than you guys i think uh i have i'm a different kind of fan i am full on in the world right like i can tell you how the enterprise you know functions how a warp engine actually you know supposedly works but when it comes to like what actor is in this episode or whatnot, I am a, I am at a loss. I could not tell you, you know, left or right. Um, but I, you know, fell in love when I was a kid uh, watching it on WGN in Chicago. I mean, I watched it religiously with my dad. Uh, kept on watching it. Uh, you know, Deep Space Nine uh, came along. I was a little, uh, you know, not as into it because it was so weird. Of course, now I'm in love with it all the way. Um, Voyager came and went, you know, it was, it's something that's always been with me. Um, But I mean, I was reading Star Trek novels in elementary school. Uh, I think Imadzi might've been my first experience with sex. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, uh, my favorite. about the Star Trek Uh, novel, Imzadi, the Star Trek novel. That was about Riker's yes. being stationed on Betazoid when he was a uh, lieutenant. Beta Zed when he was a lieutenant. Uh, you yeah. know what I remember most from that novel was the sequence where uh, Troy's been taken hostage, I believe, and then their shuttle gets shot down and they're crash landing, and she's strapped in and she tells herself she just needs to go limp and relax her whole body so that she has a better chance of surviving the crash. And that stuck with me because I had never before read 
anything about how to survive like a plane crash or like a, something like that. And, oh, yeah. and it was Troy yeah. talking about that. So that, that was my memory of that the book. The drunk driver always survives, right? Because you that's go right. limp. That's the, that's the key. So I remember, did you ever watch, or I'm, I'm sure you read uh, Tech Wars. Uh, no, I was Jackson. aware of it. That, by, okay. When Star Trek became part of my heart and soul, uh, unfortunately, Shatner and the original series was still kind of more of a kitschy, kind of like chin, like a gotcha. charming, like like charming, whatever. So anything that was kind of an extension of that kind of fell under that umbrella. And, and unfortunately, Tech Wars and all that. Well, it thing. is. Yeah. Yeah. Tech Wars is kitschy and terrible. I just remember reading it way too young. And it was one of those things where that is, I mean, he was writing that for adults, obviously. Uh, and I was probably like 14 or, you know, 13 trying to read this novel that, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it has some gratuitous you know, like just playing full on, you know, Har- Harlequin romance novel scenes. And it's just like, what the heck is this? So tech <laughs> was, so I just want to read about, yeah. Yeah. Tech was the drug, right? So it, you'd have characters being I like, Hey, you, tell want, you. you want any tech? Yeah. I got some hot tech for you. Like I'm looking over in my office right now and I have the tech manuals that I remember just reading religiously as a kid. Cause I wanted to know everything just in case I was beamed up onto the enterprise, how anything works. Uh, that was my, just you know i knew it was going to happen someday so did you go to star um, trek the experience no in las vegas oh my gosh i did thank god make oh, it good. to the experience uh the only <laughs> downside was i was in the midst of my 20s and i had terrible anxiety uh so i was having panic attacks nonstop. so i made it through the next gen uh section uh and then before going and it was at the time you get a ticket for both experiences. Uh, I think it was discounted because it was very close towards the end. Uh, and, and I you didn't could go as often as you God. wanted. Yeah. I could not get myself to go. Something happened. I had a panic attack and I never did the DS9 uh, side. Uh, or no, you it was mean the, DS9. The Voyager? Was, uh, Voyager. Voyager. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. With the Borg uh, attack. Um, but uh, I... You know, it just just going to that gift shop and being on in, in Corks, even though it's in Las Vegas, which I, I personally think is disgusting. Like it was such a good experience; I loved it. Did it was amazing. Yes, I, yeah. getting beamed up to the Enterprise and walking on the bridge was amazing. It was amazing, and and the whole simulator well, I ride. I was just thinking about the whole simulator ride. I was bored because I was just like, I can't wait to get back in line and go do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I could spend so the whole time fun. just on the the bridge, you know, the set. Yep. Like you're on the bridge for like two seconds, and it's like, no, just let me play. Let me just sit here. I could just, you know, take it in. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the theme park that they were going to build in Las Vegas. Uh, that was just going to be the, the Enterprise. Spring. It was just going to yes, be like like be a gigantic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A life size Enterprise. Holy cow! Like, uh, and not just any Enterprise. One of the most, you know, the the uh, the classic constitutional refit. Uh, a constitution refit. Let's let's be uh, technical about it. Um, ugh, dreams, dreams. Uh, I would have loved it. This week is one of our wild card episodes, and it's where the guest chooses the episode. This week, Ryan has selected the Next Generation's "The Wounded" from season four. It's episode twelve. It premiered in syndication January twenty eighth, nineteen ninety one. It's a long time ago, man. Whew. Uh, it was written written by Jerry Taylor from a story by Stuart Charno and Sarah Charno and Cy Shermack, uh, directed by Chip Chalmers. 
this episode does have some some significance here. It's not just some wild card episode. So it's got a it's got a couple of things for it that have reverberations throughout the rest of Star Trek. It introduces us to the Cardassians. Big deal. Um, it establishes Chief O'Brien as basically not a lead, but like right there as like Chief O'Brien. We know who he is. He's almost the main character. We know so much about his life. And it also establishes this was part of the next generation's cresting in pop culture. This was right in the corridor of, of like its highest rated episodes as it was starting to take off. I think the next week is the episode devil's do, which for a long time was the highest rated episode uh, of all of star Trek it had like almost 30 million viewers or something like that. So this is like right in that window as star Trek starting to come into its own. It's right after best of both worlds. You know what I mean? It's starting to pick up steam. And um, I think it's a really great example of the next generation for so many reasons. I'm sure we're going to get into. Oh, absolutely. Real quick. The uh, synopsis, the enterprise must track down the USS Phoenix, which has gone into Cardassian space and started destroying bases and ships because the captain of the Phoenix, Benjamin Maxwell has reason to believe that the Cardassians are gearing up for a sneak attack soon after a negotiated truce with the Federation. So it's up to Captain Picard and Chief O'Brien to keep the peace, though, and they soon discover that Maxwell is out for revenge against the Cardassians because he, because they killed his family, basically. Uh, <laughs> so, Ryan, why did you want to do this episode? It is so hard when you came to me and you were like, okay, I want you on the show. I was like, first of all, aesthetic. And then it was like, oh, you have to pick one episode. Which one episode? One, you know? And I had recently, uh, I will, as I know you do, Brian, I'll just throw Star Trek on because uh, it's just my, my happy place. And The Wounded happened to be an episode that I had uh, just put on. I think I, I, it was likely uh, that I had started out with Best of Both Worlds uh, as being like, you know, some prime quality Star Trek. And I just let it play. And it got to The Wounded eventually. And I just, you know... Uh, watching it again, it reminds me so much of why I like The Next Generation and why I love Deep Space Nine. It has all of that in one episode. Yeah, this was definitely, like I said, reverberations. The Cardassians are a prominent figure species in Deep Space Nine. Do we get Deep Space Nine without this, without O'Brien? Hard to say. There's other, uh, there's something else, Ryan, before we get too deep into the lore. Because it's clear between the two of us, you're immersed in the world of Star Trek, and I'm immersed in the show of Star Trek, like the the, yes. the which is fine. There's no there's no one way to Star Trek. I just want to ask you the question: Do you think this episode also paved the way for the normalization of the Kardashian family? Oh, oh man, that is so true. It put out there. Remember, I just said the enter the Star Trek Next Generation was starting to pop in the zeitgeist. So this word, this name, was out there. <laughs> Did this lead to the sex tape? Is I think that's what you're you're putting out. Did, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go with this. So Robert, it's Robert Kardashian was the patriarch of that family. He was an attorney in in Beverly Hills at the time. It's completely plausible that that name through the ether, through the people working on the show, that that. You know, the, the sound alike name of Cardassian became a, a, an extension of hearing his name or knowing him or something. And then we get the Cardassians established as an alien race. 
the uh, O.J. Simpson, Nicole Brown murder happens. Uh, Robert well, Karen yeah, becomes a prominent Simpson. figure. Then we get the yeah. sex tape. <laughs> Which happened first? Was O.J. Simpson killed? Or not O.J. Simpson killed? No, this did happened first. This, this, oh, this happened first. This happened first. Wait, did this, this cause? Both, both this and Deep Space Nine murders. happened first. <laughs> oh wow! But wait, Deep Space Nine was out before O.J. Simpson killed his. Uh, that his was wife. ninety. That was ninety four. The trial was ninety five. Uh, wow. This episode's ninety one, wow. and Deep Space Nine is ninety three. So this may have caused the death of Nicole Brown. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, I would love to get a picture of Kim Kardashian from Kardashian. Uh, I used to call her Kardashian, but uh, <laughs> oh yeah, did Kim Kardashian? Let's get a picture of her. Uh, put it right next to uh, Mark uh, in his makeup Mark and Eli- see if there's any similar. Yeah, um, oh, how do you pronounce his last name? It's Mark. Uh, Mark Alimo. Mark Alimo. We're going to talk about Alimo. him in a second. Yeah. 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 Um, oh man, I am so happy to be talking about this. There's so many things I love in this this episode. Ships, fights. That's right. Let me just run through a couple of other quick general things about this episode real quick. So we've got Captain Maxwell Please. played by Bob Gunton, who I think is most famously, his most famous role is Warden Norton of the Shawshank Redemption. Um, but of course, before this and for Star Trek fans, it's Captain Maxwell. Um, a little side yes. note about how... His one appearance this is the only time Maxwell is in the series. I'm pretty sure he's come up in novels, though. And I definitely know he's been like the main character in a fan film before fan film series before. So like for Star Trek well, fans, he's, uh, Starfleet's this time period, best captain, one of Starfleet's yes. best captains, right? Yes, that's right. We've that's never right. heard of him before. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and apparently was sitting out the whole Borg conflict because he thanks Riker for apparently. that later. <laughs> so we yeah. do get, like you said, ship the ship stuff. We get a new starship, a Nebula class, which looks pretty cool. Yeah. Only time we see it in that variation, by the way. I have to, you know, stand on my my cred as a uh, total nerd about the world. Never see yeah. that again, but. And then just in terms of like, again, what it establishes for Deep Space Nine, it establishes that the Federation for a very long time had basically like a Vietnam style conflict with the Cardassians. There's the Setlit Three Massacre, which is its sort of most famous uh, battle that Chief O'Brien and, and Captain Maxwell were actually involved in. And then we, you know, then we also have, and it establishes O'Brien's kind of uh, overt, basically racism towards the Cardassians. No utterance of Cardi's here, which is a slur that they save for Deep Space Nine. Um, but that's fine because in this episode, it's very much about Chief O'Brien trying to act like he's like it's all in the past. Oh, the war's over, everything's fine, and the the whole episode is sort of about un- unpacking and unraveling that a war might be over on paper, but for the people who fought it, far from it. Um, you know, we get a lot more. This is after the wedding. Some continuity in Star Trek here. We have uh, Keiko O'Brien and Chief O'Brien had just gotten married in Data's Day, I think the previous episode or maybe a couple of episodes before. So now we're getting some uh, domestic scenes between them. And we get uh, like even something as banal as the the ranking of Cardassians. So like their captains are 
aren't called captains. They're called goals and their lieutenants are called glins. And we get that right here. It's right here. The general look of them is established. Although with some tweaks, they're a little grayer in Deep Space Nine. I kind of like the way they look here a little bit more. Uh, Gol Maset, played by Mark Alimo, who becomes the central Cardassian figure in Deep Space Nine. Gol Dukat, the main villain. Um, he's here playing a different character, but with sort of the same energy. And it's really great. It's a really fantastic performance. Um, and then I just want to talk a little bit about... Uh, Michael Westmore, who did all the makeup effects for Next Generation era shows, said he created the reptilian makeup design of the Cardassians. He he recalled, quote, I created a twin row of bony ridges, which started from the peak of the eyebrows and ran all the way back into the hairline. Then ridges went down the sides of the neck and flared out to the shoulder tips, giving the Cardassians a strange, menacing appearance like a praying mantis or a king cobra. Which to me growing up, that's what they always struck me as. They look like a king cobra or a cobra head. Very intimidating, very intense. Um, and then one last little bit about the design of the Cardassians. This is from a book that was released in the year 2000. It's called Star Trek Aliens and Artifacts. And it's basically about the behind the scenes, the makeup and props. But Patrick Stewart wrote the introduction. Mm-hmm. And in it, he says, He's basically Patrick Stewart is super racist towards the Cardassians. He goes, the Cardassians, I am sure, were too foul to want to get too close to. And then in parentheses, he says, any Cardassian reading this, please don't take it personally. (laughs) So I wonder. So Patrick Stewart took a look at the Cardassians in this episode. He's like, they must stink. (laughs) I, you know, we're talking about great performances and just, yeah, that that walking that line of like, the distaste, but also the forced pacific, uh, uh, you know, peacefulness of like having to, you know, keep just keep the 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 peace. It was oh, so beautiful. Now maybe we'll touch on this in the grades a little bit, but I also need to just spotlight one more time Mark Alimo as Gold Masset, not Gold Ducat, because this is such a great performance that they decide to bring him back, recast him in this other role, and he goes on to play. He played several parts in Next Generation. I think it's four. The only one I can think of off the top of my head right now is he played um, the the guy with the snake in the uh, in Times Arrow. He was one of the he was one of the aliens there with the snake. And Wasn't then that's he a only, Klingon at some point. He might he must have been a Klingon too. But he basically was in Star Trek for a, like a decade. And what's hilarious is that he was so good as the villain that it might actually be. And I'm getting this from the what we left behind deep space nine documentary. It might be because he actually um, pissed off all the people he worked with <laughs> because the deep space like nine possible. cast, the deep space nine cast definitely were like, let's not be interviewed with him. They definitely had a vibe. Where, uh, I think Nana visitor actually says something where she, she says his name when she means to say gold Ducat in a very hateful, like a very, I don't want to, <laughs> ever be around <laughs> Mark Alimo. I mean, gold to cut and it's, and uh, Terry Farrell's like catching her and it's just very funny. So congrats to Mark Alimo just right off the bat. Great performance as a, the Cardassian observer team that's assigned to go with the enterprise as basically they go on this heart of darkness style journey into Cardassian space to retrieve the renegade, the rogue captain Maxwell, who's going after the Cardassians for what he thinks are good reasons. Let's go into the greats. Quick correction, definitely a Romulan, not a Klingon. Uh, I was okay. incorrect. All those Star Trek nerds out there who are yelling their heads off, who does he think he is? Uh, Klingon? No, I understand. I hear you. You're heard. 
Was it a season two Romulan? It was Tabak. Uh, what what season was that from? I believe it was. It might have been one of the early uh, from the neutral zone. Yeah, so oh, definitely season uh, one. Okay, season one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Okay. All right. Great scenes. Holy, I know. Back back on. Yes. Great. Good scenes. catch. Good catch, Ryan. Um, the show would have been canceled if you hadn't caught oh, that. Also, hey, hey, first appear, first and only appearance of a mustache on a Cardassian. I want that to be heard. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I, I like that. Again. I like that they have facial hair. I wish that they had kind of kept that, and I liked that they weren't all just super gray. I'm ruining your segue. No, no. Well, I have one more factoid for you. This is the only time for after season two that Dr. Crusher is not in an episode. Oh, another factoid for you. The only time that Clardassians are wearing helmets. Uh, It's like Balance of Terror all over again. Uh, That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember when they were popped up in Deep Space Nine. I'm like, where's their helmets? Yeah, helmets are always like it's always. I feel like it's someone. There must be someone on the costuming team that's always like, "Oh, this is a good idea. I want to put it." It's like capes. Yeah, throw a cape on it. Never a good idea. Just it's like terrible for sound, Um, terrible for lighting. Yeah, it's like all these things. (laughs) Yeah. Oh boy. Um, But yeah, great scenes. Let's do great scenes. Uh, I'll tell you what. uh, Any scene that you see the Enterprise and that that beautiful USS Phoenix model. uh, Great scene. Love it. (laughs) Uh, no, there's so much meat into this episode. Uh, I, I would say O'Brien, you know, we're going to, I know we're going to talk about, you know, good acting, but geez, like the, the way that they're able to make O'Brien such a well-rounded character, we see so many facets, facets of him. Um, he be, watching this episode. I almost am more interested in him than any of the main cast, uh, like overall, like just like, Oh man, I, like you see why, they brought him back for Deep Space Nine and why they wanted to keep working with Cole Meany, you know? Um, and then just that song, uh, what really got me was just the uh, the meaning behind uh, that delightful uh, ballad the uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time I hear them sing it, I, I see a different aspect of that song being played out. The, you know, the one person that's believing that'll carry the sword, you know? It's like... Uh, that totally tracks with this episode. I think it's something along the lines of uh, there'll be one uh, towards the end of the song. Uh, there's mention of like one who will uh, continue to hold the sword uh, and kind of like honor uh, whoever it is that's singing. It's like, yes, there's, you know, O'Brien is still believing in Captain Maxwell, despite all this crap that's going on. Uh, and I think he still stands by him in a way towards the end, just knowing that he, the right choice is to step down, but he's still, you know, sticking up, for, for his captain. So just kind of going in order, I think, I don't think there's a bad uh, scene in this episode. So, you know, just start it and watch it. And there's, you know, just, I mean, we're not, we're not cutting out any scenes here. There are just a couple of moments prior to what I think is the first great scene. There's a great moment where they are trapped. They've tracked the Phoenix and they're far enough away that they can't do too much about it. And so Golmaset asks them for the Enterprise for the Phoenix's transponder code, which you'll remember from Star Trek Two. Nice to bring that in here. Star Trek fans, all of our antennas yeah. popped up. Even me, a 10 or 12 year old, was like, ah. And then uh, Picard's like, um, I'm not I'm not sure we're going to do that. And so um, and then Golmaset says, so you're not going to give us the means to locate him. And Picard gives this rise. Patrick Stewart gives this rise smile. He goes, no, I won't. And he walks away. Like he just doesn't want to have a fight with him. And there, 
what I like about it is it's it's the first of many moments where two men are both trying to get what they want, but also trying not to trying to prevent a war, which is um, what we're kind of talking over is all the details, the interpersonal dynamics at play in this episode. And you've got Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard representing the Federation, which has just ended this long turmoil, this conflict with the Cardassians. Golmaset representing the Cardassian side. And they're both like, we've got this guy who doesn't realize that the fighting's done and he's going to start another war, maybe a worse one. And both of them are trying yeah. to mediate that along with their own feelings because Golmaset's trying to safeguard his lives, which are more in more active danger. The other scene that I liked, another moment I liked, I should say. Um, no, now the, the next note I have is the first great scene I really have is after... The first scene we get the two of them having dinner, O'Brien and Keiko, she's feeding him breakfast, right? And it's kelp blood. Yes. Have you ever had this meal before, by the way? Kelp buds, plankton. Can I tell you another (laughs) fun, fun uh, little tidbit? So last time when when I was watching this episode randomly, uh, it was the first time I've had food poisoning in my life. And uh, when that scene came on, I became so ill, I had to fast forward it. Um, (laughs) Just from seeing the food. And all the mention of, you know, mutton shanks and uh, the heavy stuff that O'Brien was bringing up. Uh, oh. but yeah, not to, to step on you, but essentially, yes, Keiko is, is uh, providing uh, what is traditionally her, you know, kind of preferred meal, uh, which is a very, like, different sea, uh, sea kelp, I believe, was one of it, right? Or different Kelp like, buds, uh, plankton loaf, and sea berries. Yeah. And they're, and they're basically um, kind eating of establishing hers. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to say establishing her as kind of like our prototypical like uh, Federation member from this time period, right? And then you have O'Brien, who this is what I love. It's just like it makes his character so rich. We're finding out that his mom uh, would cook with real meat, which just sounds so disgusting to someone that lives on replicator food, uh, and would create these really hearty like traditional dishes. So it's uh, and and coming from a German family, I totally respect this where it's like the food sounds disgusting and probably is but because of its close ties to your memories of your family and where you come from you you eat it you know it's like it brings it, it's it's not necessarily the food itself that brings joy it's the memory of what it means or it's, it's what it means which is your tie to your family i think yeah absolutely that that's what she that's what keiko's coming from she's like she had this every morning growing up. It's very, very nutritious. This is also consistent with her character. She was introduced, I believe, as a botanist uh, earlier in, in the season. So, you know, that she would want to eat plant food as well would make total sense. But the actual scene that I think is a great scene, that first scene between them is kind of cute um, more than anything else because it's just establishing, oh, they're newlyweds and these are their differences, cultural differences. But it's the second scene that's more powerful. It's after O'Brien's discovered that his captain's out there potentially, you know, committing crimes, killing innocent people, that kind of thing. And they're convening for dinner and he's made her dinner, which he says is he gives her potato casserole and says it's a meal, a dish fit for a king. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about that later. I'm not sure about that, chief. But (laughs) but he's it's a great scene because it's him trying to process what he's understood, but also how he's been carrying himself because he's saying, uh, what? why do people ha- hold on to any of this stuff? The war is over. And she's like, well, you fought in the war and you don't hold on to any of it. And he goes, I'm fine. 
and it's kind of the first or second time we get this little runner in the episode of Chief O'Brien saying like, I don't get it. Everything's fine. And it's, it's just like a slow realization by the end of the scene, you know, she's looking at the food going like, what are these cape? And he goes capers, but he's telling her what it is in the middle of him having this dawning realization. She's thinking about the food, but also kind of like, uh, you know, responding to his emotional thing of like, everything should be great. Why are we have holding on to any of this stuff? And she's like, I don't think it's that easy. So I thought that was a great scene. Um, it's a very subtle emotional thing. And it's tough, I think, for most TV shows to do, but especially a show in the 90s to do something that's pretty subtle. And then that leads us right into the next really great scene, probably one of the great scenes in the entire season. And it's the scene after they've located the Phoenix and they're tracking a few dots on the main view screen. And it's a really tense scene where they found the Phoenix. The Phoenix is prowling. It's on the prowl, hunting down the supply ship. And Picard gives the order to transmit the prefix code to the, to the Cardassians so that they can stop the Phoenix from attacking. And then it goes to a commercial break. But it's a big, tense moment of Picard having to make this tough decision. And it bumps us right into the next scene where we come back from commercial and we're seeing what happens. And it's basically just data giving a, a play by play on the battle that's happening. And I just remember as a kid, I have to use my imagination to imagine a space battle. And it's probably one of the best space battles that Star Trek's ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and we never see it. It's, it's just thoughts on the screen. <laughs> it's very much uh, in line with, you know, doing what you can with what you have. Uh, sometimes you know if we had seen that battle i don't think it would have played as well uh it would not have it would not have uh, you're absolutely right it, 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 get leading more to giving more to the imagination makes it a stronger uh battle than you know just seeing two ships fighting it out uh the stakes are higher the enterprise is just kind of sitting helplessly having to read sensor readouts to see what's going on because they're not in range yet um and then and I have a few more great scenes. The old leather scene. Can I throw What's... one in? There yes, is one please. that I, yes. I have to throw out. Yes. Uh, so there is the scene, and I, I can't remember exactly the timeline where this happens. It might, I think it's after his realization with Keiko, but he's back at uh, 10 forward uh, with the other... Uh, Glenn Tilly, I think. Glenn Tilly, yeah. Uh, and it's just this beautiful scene uh, that, you know, earlier we see him showing his contempt for the Cardassian. Uh, when he's on the, the turbo lift and he gets very angry at, at this Glenn. And uh, this is kind of a follow-up where he's making apologies for himself. Uh, and we have such a rich character moment where we find out that, you know, O'Brien's coming to the realization that something has changed uh, and that he has been hurt by, you know, his experiences in the war. And that is what is making him so angry at the Cardassians. And it's such a novel, interesting way of showing it. That's what I love about Next Gen. Anyone else would be like, oh, you know, you have the bad guys and the good guys, and you know. Uh, but here we're, we're seeing so much depth as to what it means to have been in war and your your beliefs changed and your actions, like you're forced to do things that you would not normally do in order to defend yourself. I, I think we, we it kind of, I think, leads us to Deep Space Nine because that's what it's all about with Deep Space Nine, you know? Uh, it's, it's us facing, you know, we're seeing the ap- aftermath of this this great uh conflict and having to come to terms with it with what you know who it's made us as well as you know having to uh realize that not everything can be peaceful you know things are ugly and can get dirty and they do a really nice job of showing like the cardassians are people too 
right? They're they're on yeah. the other side of this conflict, and and they're trying to, you know, they're both trying in this moment. It, you know, O'Brien winds up getting upset, but like, and he responds to the Glenn extending a hand, saying like, "I accept your apology. Let's hang out for a second. And it's just, it is a really nice touching moment. You know what sets that scene up though? The previous scene mm. where Picard goes to O'Brien in the transporter room to ask about Captain Maxwell. And he, Captain Picard asks point blank, well, first, earlier when they first have O'Brien talking to Golmaset, you know, he's like, well, you know, Captain Maxwell's family was killed by the Cardassians. And then, and then Golmaset goes, oh, well, there it is. It's revenge. And, and then O'Brien gets upset at that, bristles at that. And Picard says, please, gentlemen, let's not rush to judgment here. Let's just focus on the facts, which is a great mediator, rational thing to do. But after they see what they Classic see, when, yes, yeah. when they see Maxwell destroy a Galar class warship and a supply ship, he then goes to O'Brien and he says, how did he take it after his family died? And then O'Brien just like not missing a beat goes, I think he took it fine. He didn't miss a moment's duty. And it's like he's like, I don't think he's capable of what worth what you're suggesting he is capable of. And that's when Picard goes into, I think when you've been angry for a very long time, it starts to feel comfortable, like old leather. And it's it's the way O'Brien is reacting, which, by the way, it's a two two things. It's O'Brien sticking up for his captain, his old captain, like you said. But it's also yeah. him still denying that part, his feelings about the whole thing. So you need that scene to then lead into the next great scene in 10 forward, where now O'Brien is like, it's not about Maxwell. It's about how he's feeling about all this. And it's like his cathartic moment to confront the Cardassian because O'Brien then winds up playing the key. He plays the key role in the end of the story here that we're getting to. But they're like a beautiful pairing of scenes. What I love about Star Trek The Next Generation, and I think what we all love about Star Trek as a whole, uh, is that it has this bright vision of the future where there is no you know, uh, conflict, there is no money, there is no, you know, it's a utopia, right? This episode establishes that not but a year ago, there was still conflict with the Cardassians. And it lasted at least decades, uh, knowing that Picard faced them with the Stargazer, right? Which had to have been a timeline about probably at least 10 years, I would say. At least 10 years, Uh, yeah. Yeah, at least. uh, Because that was, of course, Captain Picard's first command. uh, And he's gone through to, you know... uh, to where he is now and, and and this is season four so obviously the enterprise uh uh d has been out for at least four years if not more and up to this point we've never heard of the conflict with the cardassians we've never seen anyone have to deal with like traumatic post-traumatic stress or any sort of like issues with with having been at war with the cardassians we haven't seen any damage from this conflict up until this you know this moment we're seeing in this episode o'brien's forced to realize that not everything is is perfect like he thinks, right? And that he was affected more, that Maxwell was affected more by this conflict. Uh, it's almost very similar to what this episode is doing to the idea of Star Trek, where we're forced to see that not everything is fine. There are people, like, we're seeing a captain, a Starfleet captain, who's one of the best, going out there and, and, dis- and, and just killing who may or may not be innocent. Uh, which I don't think we've seen in, in quite some time, uh, at least not on Next Generation. This isn't an Omega Glory situation or something like that. Like the captain is not 
arch. He's not over the top. This is my last great scene. Uh, the, I think the whole episode has good scenes throughout. I'm just highlighting the great Absolutely. scenes. We've listed many of them. Um, the last great scene, I think, is is when Captain Maxwell comes aboard the Enterprise. And it's just he and Picard. And it's exactly what you said. It's like, this is a great captain facing off against our captain, basically. And it's just a different vibe of a guy who... It's both of them thinking they're at the top, but one of them actually having the upper hand because you've got basically Captain Maxwell trying to push this idea that the Cardassians are trying to plan a sneak attack, that they're using the peace process to basically regroup. He's kind of a, a lot of bluster and fear mongering and slogans. You know, we have to act. Lives were in jeopardy. Very General Patney. And and Captain Picard just is very calmly but pointedly asking them whose lives were in danger. Why did you, like what happened? Just asking asking very specific questions, which is kind of what you do with like mob mentality. Uh, when like people are going nuts, you kind of ask them very focused questions or you you just force them to focus and it causes Maxwell to spin off and get really much more um, confrontational and much more upset. And Picard just very calmly by ex- like stating plain facts is able to basically throttle Maxwell and turn him into a, a, a defeated guy. And it, it's a great scene. It is a, a side of a Star Trek captain, Starfleet captain and a Star Trek character we haven't seen before. And Picard dealing with him, trying to show him respect and dignity. There's a great threat. He's like, you can go back to your bridge or else I'll and follow the Enterprise back or we'll tow your ship in disgrace. Like that kind of thing. Trying to appeal to his Starfleet senses uh, rather than appeal to his emotions. Although that is appealing to his emotions. But essentially, you know what I mean? Like he's not talking about his family. Picard does it. Yeah. He's just sticking straight to the facts. And to your point, I think this is like, this is one of the scenes that this is a Captain Picard scene for the ages. If you were to draw a list of 10 top 10 Captain Picard scenes, when we talk about his speeches or the things that he does, like it's how he is as much as what he says and what he is, is he's like in the face of uncertainty, anxiety, anger, sadness, I'm going to try to be the reasonable, rational, rational person. And I'm going to listen to you and we're going to try to get through this together. Talk it out talk it through and it's just a it's a marvelous scene ultimate it's like diplomat. perfect he's the ultimate yes. diplomat you know he is he's not the swashbuckler of of the original series he is the the modern day diplomat of you know uh war is not the answer there are always there's always another you know solution unless it's the borg and he doesn't take the bait you know maxwell says us oh, office smells musty like a bureaucrat's office because in some way, you know, again, he's a person and he, he is, is a bureaucrat. Picard accepts that. He's like, right. you know what? Well, the thing that's, is, he doesn't accept it as, yeah, but he doesn't accept it as an insult. You know what I mean? Like, he's not no. trying to refute statements. He's simply trying to say, like, your actions have led to this, this many deaths and you are putting us back on the brink of war. And you might have your reasons, but you have no justification for what you've done. You haven't followed any of the proper channels. You know what I mean? Like you might be, your concern is not out for glory. Okay. Yeah. He is used to digging in the sand. If he had his way, he would be reading a good book. You know, (laughs) this is a guy that if he was not a captain, he'd either be reading a good book or digging in the dirt. That is his two passions. Like he's doing this because of not out of, you know, quest for glory, but out of obligation. 
Uh, I think he realizes that, you know, the Federation needs him to be out there. Uh, and this is just his calling. I, I love that we'll, you know, we'll be moving on to one of the, our other grades, just like comparing how other captains would perform. Because that's one of my favorite parts of all the different Star Trek series is you do have such a, a clear difference in how he faces these situations from other other previous captains and, and uh, you know, more current. I've picked off most of the meat from the bone, but do you have any other great scenes? The Of course, when O'Brien is with uh, Captain Maxwell... And they're together, and Maxwell has this uh, line about, you know, they're they, I, I, uh, these are the people that you know would would kill innocent uh, lives and and like et cetera et cetera, and it's you know, what I love about it is it's you know it's, it's the writing is so well done that they're not being like throwing it in your face, but he's describing what he's doing, uh, which is he's going in and he's attacking you know attacking by surprise. He's killing innocent lives all for what, you know? And it's like, as he's saying that he doesn't acknowledge, like he, you can see his, see him coming to the realization that he's f-ed up and that like, he's not going to get out of this. Yeah. It's great. All right. Best trick tropes. Uh, my, one of my favorites is this might be best or worst is, you know, of course the enterprise is getting fired at uh, nothing happens. You know, it's the classic, just shake of the camera, but we're not seeing any damage done. Shields are such an all, all, all powerful defense, you know? Mm-hmm. I have the prefix code. Uh, love that coming in. I don't, I'm not sure if this is the first time we've even had it referenced in Star Trek Two, but it was it was really cool. It, it's been rare that we've heard it. This is one of the few times you hear it. The, the Enterprise being the closest ship in range. It's a good trick trope. When they call it out, it's always fun. I have two TNG tropes. Picard deflating buster, uh, bluster with just like common sense, calmness, what we were just talking about. But it's such a Trek trope where it's like someone's going like, blah, 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 blah. And Picard's like, Federation policy. Or he literally says like, where is your documentation? What a thing to say for someone who's uh, who's just going off killing people. He's like, you have suspicions. Where's your documentation? (laughs) Just like the balls to sit there calmly saying like, okay, I'll hear what you have to say. Are you going to follow the proper channels? But it's Warp still not uh, trusting someone. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off. But yeah, I was I, saying, yeah I'm sure you I have that. that. I have that below for worst Trek jokes. But oh, but, that's one of my favorites. But let's I the, love that Worf is always so skeptical. He's always like, oh, I don't know about that. Okay, so this to me it falls under the TNG trope of smacking Worf down. Although Kristen and I agree that we were going to take it on a case by case basis, but in this case, so you think it's a best Trek trope because this is at the beginning of the episode when the Enterprise is just chilling out on the Cardassian border, waiting for the Cardassians to show up and we get the story about pa- uh, Captain Picard on the stargazer. And then w- after mm-hmm. it's over, Worf says the Cardassians are without honor. And Troy says, there are allies now, Worf, we have to trust them. And he says, trust they're is- not allies. They're yes. not allies. Yeah. They're at peace. Yes. Trust the only is- ones that are allies would be the Klingons. Uh, I think they do have an alliance with the Federation. Yes. The Cardassians do not. Yes. So then so mad. So <laughs> Troy's so okay. So Troy's wrong. And then Worf is wrong. By the way, Worf's backing up his captain, who just said, I was a coward and running from the Cardassians. Because uh, Troy was like like buttering his bread. She goes, you, Captain, running? I'm like, excuse me. What The main thing we know about Captain Picard is he's quick to surrender. So that's not a surprise, Troy. Don't try to make him sound Also, tough. he's very good at running. Yeah. He, he won the marathon. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so then Worf goes, the, the Cardassians are without, like I said, and then. He says, uh, trust is earned, not given away. 
And then it cuts to a shot of all three of them on the, below Riker, Picard and Troy. And they're all just kind of look at each other being like, well, whatever. Thanks Worf. Like they just humored him or something. And they're just like, whatever help. Thanks for that little uh, checking in there. So it just annoyed me. I'm like, maybe what Worf was saying was kind of stupid. Like it was very on the nose and not particularly insightful or interesting, but Sometimes when they smack him down, it's like, I think it said more about them in that situation than it did about Worf. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I can and see that. I can see that. One more great Trek trope that I had was Troy sensing emotions. And here's why it was great. This really great this time. She doesn't say it. There's no great gratitude and joy or gratitude and joy. It's after the Cardassians beam aboard. Our first sense yes. that something's going on with O'Brien is after That's they leave. That's my worst trope. I was going to throw that on my worst trope, but go ahead. Well, this is great. So the moment is they're all leaving and then Troy's the last one out and she stops and turns and looks at O'Brien because she could sense the racism vibes, the hate vibes coming off of him like Pigpen and Peanuts. <laughs> she she doesn't say anything. She just gives him a look and then he gives her a look, kind of maybe a little apologetic, and then she goes and then that's it. I think that was the act out maybe. And I thought that was great. It was very artfully done and you hate it. Why? I, the reason I hate it is it just reminds me of, you're right. Actually, it was well done. It just reminds me of all the times of what, uh, what do you sense counselor? You know, those, the classic, like, uh, Oh, I can tell that they're feeling upset, you know, but I guess it is that the fact that it wasn't spoken. I wrote it I down. That. The, the wordless turn. How awesome. Yeah. Okay, worst Trek tropes. Sorry to have smacking uh, the work field modulation. I I love that if they you know the writers write themselves into these holes of like, well, their shields are up. How are we going to transport over? Uh, it's the same thing as using the transporter at warp, where it's like, well, you can't use the transporter at warp unless you're going to the <laughs> exact same speed. Um, that stuff drives me crazy. Yeah, I have that too. Beaming. So at the end, Chief O'Brien beams through the Phoenix's shields to go and talk to the captain. Now, look, the the one give on that stupid idea, because I wrote, I literally wrote my notes, grumble, grumble, from yep. beaming through the shields. But the one thing is like, if anyone could do it, I guess it's Chief O'Brien. I guess it's the Enterprise. Like he and Jordy might have some system worked out. But it was, yeah, it was kind of, it was definitely a bullshit reason. He said something about the Phoenix's sensor system cycles a certain way. I'm like, what does that have to do with the shields, Chief? Um, yeah. So then, so I, so then my other, my last one is the Enterprise D doing things at a leisurely pace for the sake of drama. <laughs> yep. There are two moments. So the, when the Cardassians first appear in the episode, they're firing on the Enterprise and the Enterprise is finally able to disable the Cardassian ship, but not until they take like a dozen shots, phaser shots. And then when the Enterprise does finally fire, cause they only have the budget for one phaser effect. Then we have to hear about how they fire multiple shots, but it's very rare in the history of the next generation. We see the enterprise firing a multiple times. And so they're constantly just taking a bunch of damage. It's so annoying. The other one, Ryan, I, I, I leapt off the couch cause I had forgotten about this when oh, they're watching, when they're watching the little dots fighting and they, and mm -hmm. they go they, and the Phoenix wipes out the two Cardassian ships um picard asks how long until we intercept the phoenix and data i don't know why they kept this line in data says at our current speed of warp four it'll take several hours and so picard oh, says go, so picard says go to warp nine i'm like what were you doing before <laughs> what? Probably, uh, honoring, 
I mean, this is before the warp speed limit, right? Or is it's this before, has to be before? Long before yeah. that. But the whole point is, we're on the, the we're this could bring us to the brink of war. This is very important. And I think he even says earlier in that scene, Golmaset, as you can see, we're doing everything we can to stop this. And I'm like, I don't think you were. Also, only warp nine. How about max warp? I mean, you can go well, twelve hours warp- at warp nine point nine eight. So just shoot it. Go the full speed. That's a big difference. Now that I'm losing my mind over it a little bit, now I have to think about it. Remember, the Cardassians did damage the Enterprise a little bit. Oh, in that yeah, but first that attack. Not... Well, no. no then Jordy says Jordy says the starboard starboard power couplink is down. Oh, oh. So well, maybe I've, they cut the plenty pl- of times that the starboard but, coupling is out. That's you know. All I'm saying is maybe they set they cut the line where they're like we have to proceed we can't go to full warp yet we're still making repairs if it's not on the screen uh i don't i don't believe i, don't, I understand i, I understand i'm just saying yeah. like i'm just yeah. saying from a writing standpoint it still falls under a bad trope because you should have then just also cut the line where data says what their speed is also that's... what is the deal like how good is this captain i don't know if this is a trope but the fact that he is you know the best captain in starfleet he murders over 800 cardassians right and it's like, oh, we're just going to, you know, put, confine you to quarters. <laughs> and it's like classic, like, dude, the oh, brig okay. is there for a reason. Another worst Trek trope is obviously, you know, for the sake of drama, Picard kind of loses a lot of authority by letting Maxwell, by thinking that by letting Maxwell go back to his ship and have his dignity, that things won't go awry. But, you know, it's like if you're trying to show the Cardassians that you're making good, why would you even like allow for the possibility of a misunderstanding there? The only other thing I could say is they kind of, they kind of show us why Picard was willing to do that at the end. When, uh, when Golma set says like, I don't care what his, what you p- think of him. I'm glad he's under lock and key. And Picard's like, just because he can't remember, it's like, just because he can't stop the fighting or let go of that doesn't mean it means we can pity him, but we shall not forget him. So I think maybe Picard yeah. was just being very empathetic to a fault. Is that I can justify it, but it's still a bad trope because you need it for the oh, drama. Oh. Yeah. Here's a trope too. We never see uh, the Phoenix's bridge. O'Brien beams into the ready room. Right, right. And then when, call is. Yes. there's always an excuse that we don't see another bridge. I am a, you know, as we've said, I am a, you know, I'm a, a, a junkie. For, for just like the world of Star Trek. And I always would love, you know, when we saw uh, the the uh, uh, Redemption, or was it uh, Redemption 2, uh, where we started seeing the bridges of the different ships, you know, like, yeah, oh man, I love that stuff. Um, but yeah, come on. Or any other crew members. There's a whole crew. The Phoenix has at least 800 crew members. And the only one that we're, we're dealing with is Maxwell. Like yeah. no one on that starship is questioning what they're doing. I'm going to bring that uh, up. I thought later. that would have been a cool. Okay, that yeah. would have been a cool dimension. To, yeah. So the most of its time quality. So 1991. Yeah, we're at the uh, Gulf War. Uh, anyone reading Memory Alpha uh, will, of course, see that the uh, the idea of we're doing everything to start a war, and this episode comes out and there's everything there's to stop one. Uh, and I think that's very pertinent uh you know the messages of of star trek on on current day there's you know everything happens for a reason you know these writers are not without intent with their messaging i think yeah i had that note too i i think it's 
you know, nowadays, a lot of people to say nothing of this isn't just writers and TV shows. I think just people that they kind of push the idea that any risk, especially if it's to other people, is worth it so long as it's right, as long as you're proven right in the end. And and it's kind of like a libertarianism. And, and I kind of think that was if you were to do some version of this episode today, it would sort of be like because Maxwell is ultimately right. Spoiler that the Cardassians are up to something. And the whole history of Deep Space Nine is about, oh, the Cardassians are up to something. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it justifies all the actions that you do. And this was this is probably the last decade. You know, it's 10 years before 9-11. I'm sorry to draw a parallel between a real-life tragedy and art, but, you know, it reflects our, our culture. This is probably, like, one of the last waypoints on the way to this not being a, a thought. And the idea that you can do the you can do terrible things for the right reasons is wrong is is an idea I don't think holds much water in the 21st century. I think as long as you're right in the end, it, people can justify a whole lot and find cultural acceptance from it. Whew. Anyway, and then I think the whole O'Brien strain of denial, the just the way that he's like, I'm fine. It's a great term. I think it would have been more blatantly called attention to today, but the way it's kind of like no one's, no one's breaking the fourth wall to point out that chief you're in denial. You know what I mean? Like that's how they would do it today. You've had a deep trauma. You know what I mean? So the fact that they kind of let the acting and the, the acting and the storytelling tell you what was going on. um, I think that was great. The line must be drawn here. Great lines. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Many, so many uh, great lines. There's so many. Like, I mean, like the song, the entire song itself, I think is a great line. <laughs> like, honestly, like I was saying, like the, the parallels that it has with this episode, I, uh, you know, are we going chronologically? I, I mean, there's the all, my favorite, uh, of course, is probably, it, it is the last line that's spoken. Gull uh, Masset, Masset, right? Gull Masset, yes. Yeah, Gull Masset is with Captain Picard. Uh, they're in the ready, uh, I'm sorry, they're in the conference room, I believe. The observation uh, lounge. And, yeah, and it's you know the conversation is going about how glad uh, you know Galmaset's so glad that, that they were able to to stop uh, Maxwell and Picard's having to set him in his place and you know basically you know he knows Picard's not a dummy he is we like we said uh, he has a different strategy than some you know like a Captain Kirk but he knows what he's doing which is preventing doing the the number one his mission which is to prevent war. He knows that, you know, what Maxwell was investigating is likely to be true, but he, Picard has to turn a blind eye to it in order to preserve the peace. And, but, but he still lets, you know, this is why he's such a badass. And he's like, just know we'll be watching. Boom. You know, it totally prevents Picard from, from being a pushover. You know, it's like, he will stand yep. his ground if he has to. Yep. So the song that Ryan's mentioned a couple of times and features figures prominently in the episode is called the Minstrel Boy, and it's an Irish song written in the 1800s. Oh, can we say one line from the song, though, that I think is what I really, what yes. resonates with me? Yes. Uh, one faithful harp shall praise thee. One sword, yeah, the last verse is essentially, one sword at least thy rights shall guard, one faithful harp shall praise thee. And it's, you know, very much in line with O'Brien, like, I, I think. Uh, and, and his, you know, he's sticking by Maxwell, despite everything that's happening, he knows that there must be a reason for him to do what he's doing. Uh, and then afterwards, it's like he, you know, even though now he knows 
that Maxwell was in the wrong, he still stands by him. You know, he's still yeah. he's still yeah. by his side. It's basically the the Minstrel Boy is a story of a young man who goes off to fight for Irish freedom, and then um, and then it's basically you know kind of about nationalism and pride, or and kind of the understanding of the deeper sacrifice that's being made because of nationalism and patriotism and all that stuff. So it good, good emotional uh, symbol for the episode works well. And uh, you get Maxwell and O'Brien singing it together at the end. Uh, O'Brien had been humming In it. Harmony too, which yeah. Is nice. Quite nice. Yeah. Well, Bob Gunton, yeah. great actor. Colin Meany, great actor. Okay. So uh, O'Brien, when he's given the breakfast of kelp blood, kelp buds, plankton loaf and, and sea berries, he says, sweetheart, I'm not a fish. And then um, when Golmaset <laughs> says, how do you know that that's a transport ship? And Picard has to, you know, not get into an argument with this Cardassian. Picard says, we are able to make that determination. And then Golmaset realizes they can read the transponder signals on their ships because Federation has great sensors. I was going to say, we mentioned this before, the scene with uh, him and uh, the Gill. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the line, it's not you. I hate Cardassian. I hate what I became because of you. His whole story. I have that. He goes, he's talking about the, when he's protecting some civilians on set like three and some Cardassians troops come bursting in and he stuns one of them and he gets in a fight with, with another one. And then just the way he describes that one of the women tosses him a phaser, he fires it and the guy just disintegrates right in front of him. Um, it's it's heartbreaking, yeah. or it's meant to be heartbreaking. Um, so the yeah. old leather Next generation spe- phasers are set for stun. You know, like yeah. it's so rare that we we see something used for 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 kill. You know, and another situation where something's written, we have to imagine it. But you can imagine the way it's written and the way it's performed. You can imagine, you can visualize O'Brien with someone on top of him, and then firing a phaser, and then. You know, you can put like Captain Terrell's vaporization from Star Trek Two in your mind and just kind of transpose it into that memory. It's it's horrific. The old leather speech. He goes, Picardo O'Brien. Oh, yeah. I think, I think when one has been angry for a very long time, one gets used to it and it becomes comfortable, like old leather. And finally, it becomes so familiar that one can't remember feeling any other way. And then Picard's kind of whole speech to uh, Maxwell. We're not going after any more Cardassian ships. You're going to return to your bridge and set a course for Starbase 211. The Phoenix and the Enterprise will return to Federation space together. Those are Starfleet's orders. I will permit you the dignity of retaining your... The way he says, I will permit you the dignity of retaining your command during the voyage. The only alternative is to put you in the brig and to tow your ship back to Starbase in disgrace. You know, it's Picard dressing someone down, but it's someone who's his equal, who's really fucked up. Yeah. And then I love this exchange. I have to read it. O'Brien, sir, there is no war. The war is over. Maxwell, you're wrong. The Cardassians live to make war. And then O'Brien says, that's what everybody thinks about the enemy. That's probably what they think about us. And then Maxwell says, we're not the same at all. We do not start wars. We do not make surprise attacks on manned outposts. We do not butcher women and children in their homes, children who never got the chance to grow up. And I just think and like, man, yeah. this resonates to today. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's still, like I said, that, and that line, you know, it's a little, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's bringing back, it's opening the wounds of like, oh yeah, my kids were killed. Right. Uh, but I still stand by, it's also that realization that look what he's doing. He's in the same thing, you know? Yeah. 
And then Maxwell's line to close that scene between them. I'm not going to win this one, am I, Chief? I thought that was great, just the realization on his face. And then Picard's line yeah. to Golmaset, the loyalty you would so quickly dismiss. This is before the we'll be watching. The loyalty you would yeah, so yeah. quickly dismiss not, does not come easily to my people, Golmaset. You have much to learn about us. Benjamin Maxwell earned the loyalty of those who served with him. You know, in war, he was twice honored with the Federation's highest citation for courage and valor. And if he could not find a role for himself in peace, we can pity him, but we shall not dismiss him. And it's just the way Patrick Stewart delivers it. I, I'm butchering it, so you got to watch the episode. But it's it's, it's fantastic. He's, you know, there's a reason that they pulled him from Shakespeare to do this, you know? So that's uh, that bumps us right into the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. Who do you have? Everyone does such a great job between Patrick Stewart, of course, banging out with these 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 awesome lines, proving you know having uh, Cole Meany be able to prove himself uh, with O'Brien and being such a rich character, and then yeah, Maxwell, like being able to just pull off you know with someone else, it could not have, it may not have been as effective to be able to be a Starfleet captain but who's capable of doing everything that obviously he's doing. Uh, you know, he's able to kind of play that both sides of that coin. And Mark Alimo, we can't forget about oh, him. Yeah. He, Golmaset is a great character. This is in the memory alpha notes. They're on the same level. They're speaking the same yeah. language. They have the same concerns. They, they're even kind of going about things kind of the same way. You know, you have a scene where Picard's, in front of the other, in front of Golmaset, kind of keep trying to rein O'Brien in. We have a scene where Golmaset's trying to rein his dude in, who's sneaking around looking at the Enterprise computer stuff. Yeah, not to keep bringing up Deep Space Nine, but it's like, you know, it's hard to think of Cardassians without Mark. Yep, and, uh, you know, his character also is lying through at least half the episode. Because every time Golmaset has to say, oh, it's probably a transport ship, oh, it's a science vessel... He's lying. <laughs> so it's very similar to Gal Dukat. We yes. never trust. And you know what? And that's why I think if we were to revisit uh, best lines, uh, I think we should put Worf on there uh, because he says it's simple and 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 easy. And it's like it's the whole thesis of the entire thing. You know, it's, uh, the Cardassians have no honor. I do not trust them. Boom. Episode done. Wow. War- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Worf was right. <laughs> we can't say enough about Patrick Stewart in this episode. This is a, he is, it's exactly what you said. He's playing a bureaucrat. He is in this episode playing a bureaucrat, a mediator, a diplomat. He's not playing a starship captain as much as anything else. And yet he is the authority on the ship. He is the captain. He is as impressive as you might think. He's the leader that we all want, you know, like he's the one that like, honestly, and then Kirk obviously is the one that we end up, we, probably deserve but picard is like i I just look at it as like political you know in in politics like you know there's if you aspire to be a captain then you've already failed it also helps to have the uh flagship of the federation as your armor (laughs) behind you that also works too (laughs) Uh, so it's tough i i kind of i mean bob gunn does such makes such a huge impression in this role playing you know colonel kurtz essentially um that it's like it's really tough to pick between them. Uh, he stands out in throughout all of Star Trek history. Mark Alimo, we've been saying nothing but stands out through all of Star Trek history. Call Meany, who might be back in Star Trek Picard season three, which premieres this week. 
you know, well, but then does it really? okay. a lot when this episode comes out. Yes. Which along those lines, I think it's great that we're doing an episode that is sort of the platonic ideal or the perfect example of who Captain Picard is not Jean-Luc Picard, the man with the vineyard and his relationships, but like as a captain, what did he do? Yes. He's not dealing with Q in this situation. He hasn't been assimilated by the Borg. He just did his job to the best of he's like doing to what his he strengths. Does best. Yes. Yes. Do- yes. So I kind of want to give on, it to Patrick think about Stewart. It. This is, yeah, this is the difference between, you know, our, the, uh, the, the constitution class enterprise NCC 1701 and the galaxy class NCC 1701D. It's you, you're looking at, it is a, a mobile diplomatic platform. It's not, you know, the, the phasers and photon torpedoes are a last resort. We know they're, they're basically the nuclear weapons. It's like if they're using those, then Captain Picard already considers himself having failed, okay? Um, because his whole thing is keeping the peace, uh, finding another way, talking it out, negotiating. Uh, yeah. That's why you have families on board that ship. It's not a warship. I think I kind of want to give it to Patrick Stewart for Picard in this episode. Do you object? Do you concur? Do you concur? Sorry. I, you know what? I concur. I concur. This is a beautiful, yeah. Just the, yeah. That's how good the I, performance I is. It overshadows. It's almost better than the all this the, other the standout. Yeah, the yeah. other standouts. If you haven't watched this episode, watch it and then tell us how wrong we are. So that would be a great compliment to this episode. So let's go into the Shatner. This episode is Shakespeare. If Shakespeare was to come in, uh, I think I, I I I stand by this. If Shakespeare's be reincarnated. Uh, to be put in a writer's room at, uh, you know, uh, Paramount uh, at the time. Yeah, it, it would definitely be next gen. He would be writing this episode. Do you have anybody for the Shatner? No, I don't have anyone for the Shatner because I think this, the material of this episode could have gone off the rails uh, it, with, with a crazy performance. And I think we see, a, a, we do, you know what I do, I will say we do have a Shatner moment it is probably when uh, Captain Maxwell is getting angered uh, and kind of blows up at Captain Picard. We had to act uh, now. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. That was I remember thinking about that. And that was the one. So we had our Glenn's slitch. the 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 Glenn in the in Ten Forward is Glenn Darrow, and Glenn Telly is the other one. And he is my Shatner because the performance on. A lie, Golmaset. I was studying their terminal oh. interfaces. They're more efficient than ours. I have no idea what was in the files. And okay, fine. I don't want to get on a guy's performance. That's fine. And it's it's a day, he's a day player. And he has to wear all that makeup. It was he looks, his one line. He, he, he looks really great. Excited, you know? He looks great. Like he looks intimidating and like but here's what happens. Then Golmaset orders the dude back to his quarters and Worf escorts him out. And as they're heading to the turbo lift, the dude bumps into the door. As they're going into the turbo lift, and because this is TV with a seven or eight day production schedule, no, no retakes. Oh, yeah. That's one that has to go in. So it's Shatner, not he, allowed. He has to storm out, and he yeah. has to. He bumps into the wall. So bummer. Yeah. <laughs> what part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? It's it's the Kobayashi Maru. You know, uh, you're you're left with that. Captain Maxwell is correct. They obviously are stockpiling, and and everything he's saying is true. But at the same time, you can't do anything about it. Because if you do, you're starting a war that will see the death of millions. So it's like, you how would, do you resolve that? So there's a version of this where they're just doing 
they're just doing this exact episode as the new Kobayashi Maru for like the diplomatic training. Oh yeah. I think, you know, it's very similar to, uh, you know, I I can see. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're on the bridge and it's like, you're given this, this situation and you have to make that judgment call. They could call it the Phoenix. Do you want to have the Phoenix problem? The Phoenix problem. You're you're either eating your pride and having to, you know, to, to basically turn a blind eye uh, knowing full well that they're doing exactly what Maxwell is saying, or you're at, you're you possibly could be responsible for all these deaths that'll occur if war breaks out. I love that. I never thought about it as being as like a test. The other parts of it, like from like a social studies standpoint, is what you were saying earlier. What are the implications for the chain of command? How complicit is the crew of the Phoenix in all this? Why did they, why didn't they mutiny or why didn't they relieve him of command? Why did they not think that he was doing anything that violated Starfleet guidelines, policy, principles, etc.? If they did and they the chose layer. They, yeah. Yes. But if they chose not to do something about it, you know what I mean? Like that's part of the lesson. Like these were all court, maybe the whole crew's court martial, the whole senior staff for all we know, we don't actually know what happens afterward. Yeah. And then I have the height. I mean, we never see it's possible, Brian, uh, that his entire ship is just a ship of cadets. Uh, they never really, <laughs> they don't get into that. This we true. never see anyone. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, like who else would bl- turn, you know, follow him so blindly to the point where they're, you know, destroying ships. That's not <laughs> regular behavior. That's why I, w- I didn't like think about that too hard because it's certainly, they go out of their way to say like, people will follow Captain Maxwell into battle and do that. He has the charisma to pull it off. Oh, that's off. true. So it all make it all yeah. like held together, but it still also is like, I don't know when he comes back to the enterprise and he's got his orders. Did he not tell them the full orders when he ordered a course change? Like, you know what I mean? Like why didn't that, you know what I mean? Like all the other situations, maybe you could see where they were like, okay, we'll go with this. But then when it was clear, like Picard's like, we're going back to the star base. And then he yeah. changes course. Like what, what was the thinking there? Anyway, how would the predecessor show captain deal with this conflict? So how would captain Kirk have handled this conflict? Uh, you know, that's a, I, I, I've been trying, I spent today thinking about that. Um, and like we've kind of discussed before, you know, running and gunning cowboy uh, that Kirk is, I, I don't know if he could get out of this situation without starting conflict with the Cardassians. He, I don't think he'd be able to turn a blind eye. He would I see. What, think you're underestimating Kirk a little bit. I'm feeling some anti-Kirk vibes, but I'll go with. Uh, I'll allow it, but I'm going to pitch you a counter. He, there's okay. no way in hell he would have let Maxwell go back to that ship. No. No way in hell. That. And so then I think the episode would have been about Maxwell being in the brig on the Enterprise or in a court or in quarters, and then him trying to lose it him losing it because Kirk would not only would Kirk not let him go back to that ship, he would probably embarrass him if not in front of Cardassians or Spock or just in the room, like dressed him down a lot more. He probably would have then like try to break out and kill the Cardassians on the enterprise. I think that's how the, that oh. episode would have gone was that he would have uh, then like just lost his mind completely. Would Kirk, would Kirk end up uh tortured or no torture? What do you think? Would that well, get torn? That's a great question. Would, that would have it involved the two of them fighting at the end to like, yeah, it would have oh, been full on. It, I, I see a fist yeah. fight on the bridge of the enterprise. Uh, he's escaped. He's killed several of the Cardassians. 
uh, he's on, you know, he, he stumbles onto the bridge and we're talking double hand, uh, backslap backslaps, you know, like yeah. total, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but I just don't see a situation where Kirk is like, you've almost started a war. I'm not giving you your dignity. All right. So Trek, marry or kill the wounded Ryan. Like I said, this was an episode that I stumbled on. It's not one that like immediately comes to mind before, you know, you forcing me to pick one episode to talk about. Uh, but the more that, you know, the more that I watch this episode, the more that I think about it, I think I, I would, I would marry this episode. I would marry it. And, and, you know, it's, it's, and I will say this, something that, that stands with that. I think it's the, it's a perfect example of next generation, what it's trying to say about what Starfleet is and about, you know, our, our future uh, and, and, and kind of like the, the importance of peace uh, over everything else and, and how, you know, it may be dirty, but it's, there are always ways to avoid a fight. I totally agree. It was not difficult to me for me at all to go with married. I think it was just as I got older. Cause when I saw this as a kid, you know, it's like, Oh, this is good. Especially the, the imagined space fight in your head that you never actually see, which is cool. But as I'm old, as I got older, it's just realizing all the different layers to it. But the execution is is always apparent. This is like one of the best made episodes of the next generation. Um, the performances yeah. from the main the main characters, you know. But again, Troy gets that awesome turn, you know. Like she gets a you know, like there's moments in there, and it's just like it really works. You know, Brent Spiner yeah. giving basically just telling you what's happening is chilling because of the way it's all put together. And yeah, I mean, if you want to know what why. Pa uh, Captain Picard and Patrick Stewart means so much to people. It's episodes like this. Surprisingly, it's not disaster. It's not you know the Trek tropes that we had. The best tro uh, the best tropes outweighing the negative tropes. Uh, everything is running full speed on this episode. Uh, they obviously really put a lot of thought into the writing, into the story. Everyone is just really giving it their all. I mean, it it really is just it's such a delight to watch. So go watch our favorites kick off their reunion tour this week, basically, since Picard season yeah. three will debut this week. Yeah. Uh, see them in battle or see them in action one last time. Ryan, you want to plug anything? Uh, Q Code Unscripted Podcasts. There's a show for everyone. Putting a lot of love into to those shows, really enjoying uh, the output of what we have coming out. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. We'll be kicking off our nine-week run of Strange New World episodes. We're going to have some great guests to jump in to finish off the rest of the 10 episode for season. We already did the first episode of Strange New Worlds called Strange New Worlds. It was our first formal Trek Mary Kill, so go check it out. And um, after that, we're going to do Star Trek Picard Season 3. Ryan, how excited for Star Trek Picard Season 3 are you, though? Seriously. Oh, I didn't even know it was coming out this week and I'm already dreading it. We'll see. <laughs> well, if you're liking Trek, Mary kill, consider yes. rating and reviewing us on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, tell the star Trek fans in your life about us. Uh, if you're tell, at a convention, you know, I'd say tell non star Trek fans <laughs> so that they'll, they'll find out how awesome it is and watch it. There is a, I do have a hope that some people who listen are curious about star Trek, but haven't dipped in might like because you don't need to necessarily start in any order i don't think and it to, only takes one brian that's right show can turn one person into star trek to one person to star trek yes you've, you've done your service sir <laughs> and i salute you 
If you are curious to know where, how many tricks and how many Marys and how many kills we've done how, for each series or just in general, check out trekmarykillpod.com. We've got it all there. So until next week, TMK out. Kapla.